Hi, Dave Emery here. This is for the record program number 1302. How many lies before you belong to the lies, part 24. This is being recorded on June 9th of the year 2023. Very quickly, uh, several notices before we get into the main body of the information. Uh, as always, please check the SpitfireList.com website for the vital comments that are posted by Terrafactal, our contributing editor. They are essential. We also get comments from other intelligent and informed listeners as well, and those are a supplemental form of or supplemental avenue of information. Also, for many people, podcasting is the best way for them to consume. For the record, sister station WFMU is podcasting for the record, and there is a link at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each food for thought post on the SpitfireList.com website that you can click on in order to subscribe to the WFMU podcasts of For the Record. And uh, there also is another link, again, at the top of each written For the Record description and at the top of each Food for Thought post at the SpitfireList.com website, uh, that you can click on to obtain a 32-gigabyte flash drive with all of my life's work printed and audio, all of the comments by Parafractal and others, plus a mini-library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. That flash drive is going to be updated shortly, and again, it will contain everything that is on the SpitfireList.com website, and I get no money whatsoever from that. As I've said, maybe that could be seen as proof positive of my worst critics' allegations that I am out of my mind. But again, I get no money whatsoever from the flash drive. It does have all of my life's work on it, printed and audio, all of the comments by Parafractal and others, plus the mini-library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. Now, in this program, we are going to be continuing with our coverage of the Ukraine war and what is going on there. There is an awful lot going on. The next several shows will be dealing with that. And the title of the program comes again from uh, the autobiography Heartland of a Late and Brilliant Stand-Up Political Comedian, Mort Saul. Mort Saul was one of Jim Garrison's investigators when uh, the late New Orleans DA was looking into the assassination of President Kennedy. And in his autobiography Heartland, published in 1976, Mort Saul observed, quote, How many lies before you belong to the lies. Indeed, that is something that uh, I think we can all give some thought to. I did a series of programs, uh, 1248, 49, and 1250, called uh, The Ukraine War Meets the Oswald Institute of Virology. And in that, I spoke about some of the areas of overlap between what I call the Oswald Institute of Virology. That is a nickname I applied to the Wuhan Institute of Virology because, in my opinion, it was set up to take the fall for the creation of the coronavirus. 
just as Lee Harvey Oswald was set up to be the patsy for the assassination of JFK after uh, basically uh, uh, couching him as a communist and then killing him before he had a chance to defend himself. Uh, one of the things that I noted in not only the uh, Oswald Institute of Virology series per se, but also in a Food for Thought post I noticed that Peter Bashek, who heads up the Eco Help Alliance, the uh, apparent military uh, and intelligence community bio-warfare front that was front and center in the development of the coronavirus in all probability, and I noticed that Peter Bashek was of Ukrainian heritage. His father was named Boydan or Bogdan uh, Bashek, B-O-H-D-A-N, or B-O-G-D-A-N, and I noticed that he had turned 19 in March of 1945, just before the end of the war. That is just the right age to have been uh, part of the OUNB milieu acting on behalf of the Nazis. So I asked the question, what did Bogdan or Boydan Deshek do during World War II? And might he have, in fact, been part of the OUNB diaspora that had served the Nazis in World War II and was then uh, uh, impressed into service by the uh, West in, during the Cold War? I think we've got a partial answer to that. Uh, there is a book called Gifted Lives by a British author named Joan Freeman, and she has a little bit about Bogdan or Boydan Bashek. Uh, there is a Google edition of it. I'll put a link in the written description for this show. But Ms. Freeman discusses Boydan Bashek in passing and says the following. Boydan or Bogdan Bashek had lived a life of extraordinary bravery and determination. He had managed the extraordinary feat of reaching England from the Ukraine in World War II. When he was about 16 in March of 1944, the Germans had occupied his country. They captured him by going round the villages and threatening to shoot the families unless the sons joined the German army. At the time, the boys hated the Russians even more and so were half-willing to join the Germans who were fighting the Russians. But since the Russians had become allies of the British, the boys became enemies of the British. Many who had been badly treated ran off and escaped. Boydan or Bogdan, though, was an educated town boy, not a peasant like the others, so he was used for paperwork in a camp. One day, he too escaped during a hail of heavy fighting, fleeing into nearby mountains. Uh, there are several things about this blurb, and by the way, uh, I am not uh, necessarily implying at all that the distortions come from Joan Freeman. She may have been accessing a, uh, a fallacious archive, or perhaps a, a deliberately doctored archive, or perhaps uh, misleading anecdotal evidence, I don't know. So I, I, when I talk about the disinformation or misinformation in this passage, I'm not necessarily pointing an accusing finger at Ms. Freeman at all. I suspect she was accessing this from other sources. But, again, note that Peter Bashek, or rather Boydan Bashek, was born in March of 1926. He turned 19 in March of 1945. 
first of all, when the Germans occupied this country, Ukraine wasn't a separate country, it was a republic of the former Soviet Union, that was in the summer of 1941. That would have been when Peter Bashek's father, uh, see, he would have been 15, actually he would have just turned, no, he would have been 15 when they occupied uh, that part, of, when they occupied Ukraine. And uh, when 1944 came along, uh, well, he was 18, and again, he was 19 in 1945. So, A, the Germans did not occupy Ukraine in March of 1944. Uh, he turned 18 in March of 1944. The Germans occupied Ukraine in 1941 during the summer. And also, with regard to Bogdan or Boydan Bashek, it doesn't say what camp he was in. There is a very cheesy book that I don't think is very credible. It alleges that Boydan Bashek was in the Ukrainian equivalent of the Nazi party, and that he worked at a concentration camp in Ukraine called Yanoska. I may be mispronouncing it, spelled J-A-N-O-W-S-K-A. And that was a truly brutal camp outside of Lvov in Ukraine, which is in Galicia. Uh, again, that is a generally not credible book. I'm not even going to discuss it at length, but I wondered about that allegation. It is not sourced, and by the same token, Ms. Freeman doesn't source where her information comes from either. Uh, Peter Bashek has been a user of Twitter, and there is a an archive of some of Peter Bashek's tweets, and he was discussing where his father was from and his family is from, and they are from Lvov. That is the area in Galicia that was perhaps certainly the capital of the OUNB. Kiev obviously was the capital of Ukraine, but Galicia in western Ukraine, a part of Ukraine that has uh, switched stewardship between Poland and the Austro-Hungarian Empire, then the Soviet Union, it is one of the epicenters of the OUNB, and uh since the family was from Lvov, from the Boydan Bezhek was from Lvov or Lviv, L-V-I-V as it's called now, I think there is a good chance, a very good chance, that the camp at which Boydan Bezhek was working was in fact the Inoska. And that was a brutal concentration camp. Again, uh, we can't say for absolute sure, but since the family was from that area, and according to Ms. Freeman's information, he did paperwork in a camp, that suggests the strong possibility that the allegation that Boydan Bezhek worked at Yanoska is accurate. Uh, again, he was 19 when the war ended. He was 18 in 1944. When he turned 16, that would have been in 1942. Uh, one of the things to note about the OUNB diaspora, and that is that there is a worldwide uh, Ukrainian fascist youth organization called PLAST, P-L-A-S-P. It is in many ways the equivalent of the Hitler Youth. However, this was global, and this was discussed at some length and uh, in uh, detail 
by Scott Ritter, uh, a former Marine officer who uh, did some heroic work uh, debunking the notion that uh, Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. He also has been one of the few uh, critics of the Western war in Western uh, launch war in Ukraine. Uh, yet, too, Russia invaded, but that was after, A, uh, the OUN-based successor organizations were installed uh, in the destabilization of a democratically elected government under, under Viktor Yanukovych, and then uh, not only a civil war against the ethnic and linguistic Russian minority in eastern Ukraine, but also a an apparent start of a huge military campaign uh, that was going to attack the Donetsk area. And also that was coincident with uh, Volodymyr Zelensky's renunciation of the Budapest Accords. To make a long story short, he was angling to get nuclear weapons. And Ukraine not only had the uh, fissionable material or material for a dirty bomb, but the vehicles for short-range delivery of nuclear weapons. And I also suspect that Russian intel was aware of the U.S. and Pentagon financed biolabs in Ukraine, which also overlap the development of COVID and metabiota, as I have discussed in a number of programs. But in discussing PLAST, uh, the Ukrainian uh, fascist youth organization, it is not only global, but it was very, very active, very uh, virulent in the Lvov area. That is where the Dayshek family is from. In a post by Scott River from November 14th of 2022 called Christian Freelon's Nazi Problem, Scott River responds to a subscriber's criticism. This is discussing the uh, which at one point was defense minister, I think she's now finance minister of Ukraine, Christian Freeland. Her grandfather ran an OUNB newspaper for the Axis forces in World War II. And Christian Freeland, like many of the OUNB Nazi collaborators, was a member of PLAST. Of PLAST, Scott River notes. On the surface, membership in PLAST seems like a harmless enough activity. It is a mainstream scouting organization. Indeed, in June of 2019, the Ukrainian Vakodnarada, or Parliament adopted the law, quote, on state recognition and support of PLAST, unquote. PLAST, or PLAST, is the national scout organization of Ukraine. While there were other scout-like organizations in Ukraine, the new law made PLAST the only one authorized to operate throughout Ukraine. Quote, the purpose of the state recognition of PLAST is the institutional support of PLAST so that PLAST becomes accessible to every child and young person in Ukraine, while the PLAST movement is accessible to all children and youngsters who permanently reside outside of Ukraine. Class branches were ordered to be formed in every city, town, and village in Ukraine, and obliges all, quote, local self-government bodies, unquote, to incorporate PLAST into, again quoting, programs of local significance regarding children and young people. The Ukrainian PLAST organization was established in Lvov, that's where the Berdeshek family is from, in 1911 and 1912. Its purpose 
was to prepare its membership, children for war, mainly through combat training and weapons handling. Both Stefan Bondera and Roman Shukeviet, two notorious Ukrainian nationalists who fought alongside Nazi Germany, came up through the ranks of PLAST. Bondera and Shukeviet drew upon PLAST to recruit the manpower they used to fill the ranks of the Roland and Nightingale battalions, which in 1939 swept into Poland under the operational control of Nazi Germany, where they carried out the systematic rape, torture, and murder of tens of thousands of Jews and Poles. Plast veterans filled the ranks of a legion of Ukrainian youth who flocked to the Nazi cause throughout World War II and were responsible for some of the most horrific war crimes imaginable, including the murder of tens of thousands of Jews at Babi Yar in Ukraine and more than 100,000 Poles in Bohemia, Poland in 1943. Plast venerates both Bandera and Shukhevich as Ukrainian national heroes. For PLAST members, the red and black colors of the scarf Christian Freeland held in Toronto hold a special meaning. Ukrainian red blood spilled on Ukrainian black earth. Unquote. PLAST is to Ukrainian nationalists like the Hitler Youth was to German Nazis. It is an organization designed to brainwash the future generations of Ukrainian youth, whether in Ukraine or diaspora, on the white supremacist ultra-nationalist dogma originated by its heroes, Stefan Bondera and Roman Shukhevich. This modern Hitler youth-like movement is now maintained by law in Ukrainian society. And again, it was founded in Lvov in 1911-1912. Lvov is where the Beshek family is from. Boydan Beshek was 19 in 1945. Uh, in 1944, he was 18. He was 16 in 1942. The Germans did not occupy Ukraine in 1944. They occupied Ukraine in 1941. If, in fact, he went into service uh, for the Germans in a camp, as certainly appears to have been the case, that camp was more than likely Yanoska. That was in, that was just outside of Lvov, or Lviv, L-V-I-V, as it's called today. And it was a monstrous concentration camp. I'll put a link to uh, a Wikipedia article about Yanoska. So again, uh, the uh, information is beginning to clarify about the heritage of Peter Bashek. Yes, his father did serve the Third Reich, uh, exactly when and where, to a certain extent, remains uh, up in the air. Uh, the camp is not named by Ms. Freeman. Uh, the source naming it as Yanoska is generally cheesy and not sourced. But again, the family is from the Lvov area. Yanoska was a major camp just outside of Lvov. I think there is a strong possibility that Boydan Beshek did work at Yanoska, as is uh, claimed. Uh, again, it remains to be seen if uh, that is absolutely the case. And uh, it certainly would not be surprising if Boydan Beshek had been uh, inculcated with the PLAST ideology. One of the outgrowths of the Ukraine war has been the incorporation of both Sweden and Finland into NATO. This has been heralded as a wonderful step, and uh, officially 
both Finland and Sweden were, quote, neutral, unquote, during World War II. That really is not the case. Sweden, although officially neutral, uh, gave, gave aid to the Nazis, both in their conquest of Norway and in their invasion of the Soviet Union. Uh, they were also heavily involved with Nazi industry and Hermann Goering. We'll talk more about that. And Finland actually contributed thousands of fighters to the Axis cause and uh, part of the German invasion of the former Soviet Union in Operation Barbarossa was undertaken from Finland. And there was a Finnish Waffen-SS division, the Viking division, uh, that uh, shed a lot of blood in Operation Barbarossa. And uh, as we'll see, the Finnish Air Force actually adopted the swastika logo uh, even before it became the logo of the Luftwaffe in World War II. More about that later. Uh, for this information, and again, when we see Finland and NATO joining, uh, Finland and Sweden rather joining NATO, uh, this is, I guess one could say, a blast from the past, because both of those countries do have a history with the Axis and with the invasion of the Soviet Union. An excellent article about this was written by Matthew W. Eret, last name E-H-R-E-P, and he posted this in his Substack, uh, I don't know, his Substack website. It's called Nazi Skeletons in Finland and Sweden's Closets by Matthew Eret, April 5th, 2023. It is a very good and a very important article. Finland's official induction into NATO has been celebrated across the transatlantic technocracy sphere as a victory for democracy and freedom. Jens Stoltenberg gushed to his Finnish counterparts at the inaugural ceremony that, quote, Finland is safer and NATO is stronger with Finland as an ally. Your forces are substantial and highly capable, your resilience is second to none, and for many years troops from Finland and NATO countries have worked side by side as partners. From today, we stand together as allies. But how true are these statements? While Finland likes to celebrate the fact that their 1941-1944 war with Russia had nothing to do with World War II, but was simply a defensive alliance with Germany against the evil Soviet Union. And while Sweden likes to celebrate the fact that it remained neutral during World War II, the facts tell a very different story. Not only did both nations play aggressive roles in the war against the Soviet Union during Operation Barbarossa and beyond, but both nations also provided vast loans and other economic support from 1940 until 1945. On a purely military level, quote, neutral, unquote, Sweden, led by King Gustav V and Social Democrat Prime Minister Per Alban Hansen, H-E-N-S-O-N, ensured that their territories were made available to the Nazis during the Battle of Norvik in 1940 that resulted in the fall of Norway. When Operation Barbarossa was launched a year later, Germany was permitted to use Swedish territory, rail, and communication networks to invade the Soviet Union via Finland. German soldiers and battle equipment were carried from Oslo to Hasperanda in northern Sweden in preparation for assaults on Russia. On the economic front, 
37% of Swedish exports throughout the war went to Germany, which included 10 million tons of iron ore per year, as well as the largest production of ball bearings, vital for the Nazi war machine, which were exported via harbors in Nazi-occupied Norway. The pro-fascist von Rosen family played one of the most instrumental roles in promoting Nazi ideology in Sweden, with Erik von Rosen co-founding the National Socialist Party of Sweden and providing access to the upper crust of Swedish nobility to the German high command during the 1920s and 1930s. Additionally, Count Hugo von Rosen acted as director of the U.S. branch of the Swedish and Skilderbank and SKF Bearings, which managed the flow of funds and ball bearings made in Philadelphia to the Wehrmacht throughout the war. By the way, we talked about SKF and uh, the Enskilderbank in For the Record 1180. Continuing. Historian Douglas MacDonald wrote, SKF's ball bearings were absolutely essential to the Nazis. The Luftwaffe could not fly without ball bearings, and tanks and armored cars could not roll without them. Nazi guns, bomb sites, generators and engines, ventilating systems, U-boats, railroads, mining machinery, and communications devices could not work without ball bearings. In fact, the Nazis could not have fought the Second World War if Wallenberg's SKF had supplied had not supplied them with all the ball bearings they needed. Unquote. Again, we spoke about that in For the Record 1180. Hugo was Hermann Goering's second cousin by marriage, and his cousin Eric will play an important role in this story shortly. And the next section of Matthew Eric's article, Finland's Nazi Heritage Reviewed. Unlike Sweden, Finland never tried to feign neutrality and in that sense can at least be applauded for avoiding the hypocrisy of their Swedish cousins. Sharing a 1,340-kilometer border with Russia, which includes an area with 40, within 40 kilometers of striking distance from today's St. Petersburg, Finland was a high-value piece of real estate for the Nazis. During the war... 8,000 Finnish soldiers fought directly alongside the Nazis against the Russians, with many serving in Nazi SS panzer divisions between 1941 and 1943. A scandalous 248-page report published by the Finnish government in 2019 revealed that no less than 1,408 Finnish volunteers served directly in SS panzer divisions carrying out mass atrocities including the extermination of Jews and other war crimes. The cause of Finland's alliance with the Nazis during the war is also much darker than sanitized history books let on. Soviet leaders had been watching the build-up of the Nazi war machine heading towards Russia like a slow, like a slow motion train collision from the moment the 1938 Munich Agreement was reached that saw the destruction of Czechoslovakia and the growth of the Frankenstein monster in the heart of Europe. By the way, again, the Viking division was not exclusively fin- uh, Finnish, but it did have a large Finnish contingent. Continuing, Soviet leaders had been watching the, uh, but we were right back in, in his brilliant, quote, The Shocking Truth About the 1938 Munich Agreement, Alex Kreimer, K-R-A-I-M-E-R, demonstrates that British secret diplomacy 
ensured that von Hitler's takeover of Austria to the invasion of Poland on September of 1939, Britain's appeasement policy merely feigned opposition to Nazism while actually facilitating its unrelenting growth as a Frankenstein monster in the heart of Europe. In the next section, the race to secure the heartland and Finland's Nazi turn. Knowing that an assault was inevitable, Russia signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact in August of 1939 to buy time while attempting to establish a buffer zone between the expansionist Nazi regime and herself. During this small window, a race was on to consolidate spheres of interest with Russia acting defensively to secure her soft underbelly before the inevitable hot war was launched. Germany, meanwhile, raced to bring on the heat with military operations that spread the Reich across Europe. Russia won several important strategic diplomatic victories by signing mutual assistance pacts with Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. However, Finland, under the control of Field Marshal Karl Gustav Marmerheim and Prime Minister Risto Riti, R-Y-P-I, rejected Russia's offer. In the aborted Russia-Finnish Mutual Security Treaty, Russia offered to cede South Karelia, K-A-R-E-L-I-A, in the north in exchange for the Soviet border moving westward on the Karelian Isthmus and permission to station Russian bases in Finland. The pro-German government of Riti and Mannerheim had publicly been cozying up to the Germans during the 1930s, and much of Finland's aristocracy had entertained delusional visions of expansionism along with their Swedish pro-Nazi counterparts, believing that a major part of northwestern Russia, called East Karelia, apparently contained a, quote, pure, unquote, Nordic people, untainted by both Slavic and Scandinavian blood. Finland's rejection of the cooperation agreement resulted in Russia's November 1939 decision to invade, resulting in the loss of 20,000 Finnish soldiers, 11% of her territory representing a third of her economic potential, and a burnt ego. This four-month winter war, unquote, ended by March of 1940, with a reduced and humiliated Finland aching for revenge. Field Marshal Marmerheim and Prime Minister Riti were devout believers in the Greater Finland myth, with Marmerheim proclaiming loudly to his soldiers on the eve of Finland's agreement to join hands with the Nazis that, quote, in 1918 during the War of Liberation against Russia, I stated to the Finnish and Vienna Karelians that I would not set my sword in my scabbard before Finland and East Karelia would be free, unquote. It may be pronounced Karelia, I don't know. I've never heard it spoken aloud. This speech made it difficult to maintain the notion that Finland's alliance with the Nazis was simply, quote, defensive, unquote. Although it is commonly claimed by revisionist historians that Hermann Goering sent a personal message to Helsinki asking for permission to use Finland's territory in exchange for weapons and support in August of 1940, the 1945 deposition of SS Colonel Horst Kipschmann, K-I-T-S-C-H-N-A-N-N, who was privy to these exchanges, testified that it was Mannerheim himself who was the first to contact Goering suggesting this arrangement be made. Documented in Henrik Lundy's Finland's War of Choice, Kipschmann testified, quote, In the course of those conversations, 
von Abbebil, or Albebil, A-L-B-E-B-I-L-L, German major on the Apache staff who briefed Kitchman, told me that as early as September of 1940, Major General Rosing, R-O-E-S-S-I-N-G, acting on the order of Hitler and of the German general staff, have arranged the visit of Major General Paulwell, P-A-L-W-E-L, the plenipotentiary of Marshal Mannerheim to the Führer's headquarters in Berlin. During this visit, an agreement was reached between the German and Finnish general staffs for joint preparations for a war of aggression and its execution against the Soviet Union. In this connection, General Paulwell told me during a conference at his staff headquarters in Onosa in November of 1941 that he, acting on Marshal Mannerheim's personal orders, had, as far back as September of 1940, been one of the first to contact the German high command with a view to joint preparation for a German and Finnish attack on the Soviet Union. In September of 1940, a secret Finnish-German transit treaty was approved, and the train wreck that was Barbarossa was put into motion. On June 16, 1941, so about two weeks before, actually it was five days before Barbarossa was launched, Mannerheim called upon 16% of the Finnish population to fight alongside the Wehrmacht in preparation for this onslaught. When Barbarossa was officially launched on June 22, 1941, there were 400,000 Finnish and German troops in Finland as Finnish airfields were given over to Nazi bombers. Mammerheim's Pact with the Devil resulted in early wins as his dream of a, quote, Greater Finland, unquote, had finally come alive with vast territories from Murmansk to Lake Onagaya falling to Finnish occupation throughout 1941 to 1944. During this time, ethnic Russians and Jews in Finland were sent to forced labor camps and many were exterminated. The 2019 Finnish report stated, quote, The subunits and men of SS Division Viking engaged during the march into the Soviet Union and the drive through Ukraine and the Caucasus were involved in numerous atrocities. The diaries and recollections by the Finnish volunteers show that practically everyone among them must from the very beginning have been aware of the atrocities and massacres. And again, reinforcing the uh, timeline and discuss with Boyd Bondeshek, note the following. As the Finnish SS Viking Division advanced via West Ukraine between July and August of 1941, over 10,000 civilians were killed in Lvov and Zhopamir, and over 600,000 more were killed in the region from the start of Barbarossa until March of 1942. And next, uh, the really strange case of Finland adopting the swastika as its Air Force logo before the Wehrmacht. And by the way, there are some photos of uh, the Finnish Air Force swastika that I will include in the written description for this program. The strange case of Finland's enduring swastika. A word must now be said about Finland's peculiar official Air Force logo created in 1919 and which lasted until 2020 when the logo was retired from planes, flags, and uniforms, although still maintained on the walls of the Air Force Academy. Here, I am referring, of course, to the strange 
swastika that a post-1945 Finland did not think wise to remove from its military planes or uniforms despite the downfall of their Nazi allies. Sanitized history books are quick to dispel this anomalous century-long fetish with the swastika as a total coincidence having nothing to do with the Nazis due to the fact that the Nazi party adopted the symbol a full year after the Finnish government. However, as most of our official historical narratives, this one also crumbles to pieces upon the slightest application of pressure. As the story goes, Sweden's Count Erik von Rosen of Sweden, obviously, bequeathed to Finland's White Army the gift of a Tulin Type B aircraft decorated with swastikas in 1918, which established the Finnish Air Force with the swastika becoming its official logo. Since von Rosen had already been using the swastika as his personal emblem since first seeing it on ancient runes while in high school, it is concluded that the Finnish military swastikas and their Nazi counterparts could have no connection whatsoever. This claim whatsoever ignores, excuse me, this claim completely ignores the fact that both von Rosen brothers Eric and Clarence were reading nobles who proudly championed the Nazi cause, sponsored Swedish eugenics via the Swedish Institute of Racial Biology at Uppsala University in 1922, lobbied for sterilization laws, and introduced Hitler to the upper crust of Sweden's elite. In 1933, Erik von Rosen became a founding member of the National Socialist Blocket, a.k.a. the National Socialist Party of Sweden. The vigorous support for the Nazis, which included the von Rosen's influence over Sweden's Enskildebank and SKF, also changes how we must interpret the close relationship which both Clarence, Hugh Eric, and Hugo von Rosen enjoyed with their brother-in-law Hermann Goering, who had worked as personal pilot for Eric von Rosen after World War I. It was during an extended stay at von Rosen's Wackelstad Castle in 1920 that Goering was first introduced to, one, von Rosen's swastikas, which decorated the castle and adjacent hunting lodge, two, von Rosen's passion for nature conservation, which Goering shared, maybe becoming the first Nazi white minister of forestry and conservatism in the 1930s, and three, Eric von Rosen's sister-in-law, Karen von Kantzow, K-A-N-T-Z-O-W, who soon became Goering's wife and, dubbed by Hitler, first lady of the Nazi party, unquote. Eric and Clarence von Rosen had been followers of an occult sect called Ariosophism, led by a mythic, room-obsessed poet named Guido von Liszt, who simply took Madame Blavatsky's theosophy and infused an Aryan social superiority twist with a heightened focus on Wotan Miss. In this sect, the swastika and other rune symbols like the Othala rune, uh, the Elaz life rune, Sig runes later used by the SS, and Wolfsonga were treated as sacred images endowed with magic power. Uh, the Azov units used the uh, Wolfsonga uh, in contemporary Ukrainian military. Continuing, Guido von Liszt had organized his sect into an inner and outer core with the, quote, elect, unquote, learning a secret interpretation of the runes under an elite occult society called the High Armament Order, where von Liszt himself 
served as Grand Master. This racist, occult Aryanism with its theosophical aim to infuse Hindu and Buddhist mysticism into a new post-Christian age became an extremely popular phenomenon among the noble families of Europe during this period. The aim was to use a perverse interpretation of Eastern spiritualism devoid of substance and create a new order premised on a, quote, age of Aquarius, unquote, which would be which would supersede the obsolete age of Pisces, unquote, that represented the obsolete of reason exemplified by the likes of Socrates, Plato, and Christ. This last sentence one more time. The aim was to use a perverse interpretation of Eastern spiritualism devoid of substance and create a new order premised on an age of Aquarius, unquote, which would supersede the obsolete age of Pisces, unquote, that represented the obsolete of reason, should be the obsolescence of reason, and exemplified the likes of Socrates, Plato, and Christ. Out of the higher Amman Orden soon grew another secret occult organization called the Tula Society, which saw Rudolf Hess, Hans Funk, Hermann Goering, Karl Haushofer, and Hitler's coach Dietrich Eckert as leading members. The next section of the article, an uncomfortable fact must now be confronted. It is an uncomfortable fact of history that those same powers that gave rise to fascism were never punished at the Nuremberg trials. Those Wall Street industrialists and financiers that supplied Germany with funding and supplies before and during the war were not punished nor were the British financiers at the Bank of England, who ensured that Nazi coffers would be replete with confiscated loot from Austria, Czechoslovakia, or Poland. The post-war age not only saw a vast reorganization of fascist killers in the form of the CIA NATO-managed Operation Gladio, and we know that Alan Bellis directly oversaw the reactivation of Hitler's intelligence chief Reinhard Galen into the command structure of West German intelligence, along with his entire network. Ukrainian Nazis like Stefan Bandera and Mikola Lebed were promptly absorbed into the same apparatus with Bandera, working with Galen from 1956 to his death in 1959, while Lebed was absorbed into American intelligence running a CIA front organization called Prologue. As Cynthia Chung recently outlined in her Sleepwalking into Fascism, that no less than ten High-level Nazis enjoyed vast power within NATO's command structure during the dark years of Operation Gladio. Cynthia writes, quote, From 1957 to 1983, NATO had at least one, if not several, high-ranking, quote, former, unquote, Nazis in full command of multiple departments within NATO. The position of NATO commander and chief of Allied Forces Central Europe, since commander-in-chief Allied Forces Central Europe, or AFCENP, was a position that was filled solely by, quote, former, unquote, Nazis for 16 straight years, from 1967 to 1983. We took a look at uh, some of those people uh, who were actually meeting with the American Joint Chiefs of Staff on the afternoon of November 22, 1963, as President Kennedy was getting his brains blown all over Dealey Plaza. Continuing. During these years, 
Not only did Gladio stay behind to arrange a scheme of terrorism against the general population of Europe, using nominally, quote, Marxist, unquote, front groups, or carrying out hits of high-value targets like Bog Hammarskjöld, Enrico Mattei, Aldo Moro, or Alfred Herrhausen, when needed. Statesmen who did not play by the rules of the great game were sadly not long for this world. NATO's self-professed image as a harbinger of the, quote, liberal rules-based international order, unquote, is little more than a, is more than a little superficial, one more time. NATO's self-professed image as a harbinger of the, quote, liberal rules-based international order, unquote, is more than a little superficial when considering the Nazi liberal alliances which many NATO files at the Atlantic Council may wish were forgotten. This history also should cause us to reevaluate the true causes for the 1948 creation of NATO in the first place, which served as a nail in the coffin for Franklin Roosevelt's vision of the U.S.-Russia-China alliance, which he hoped would shape the post-World War II age. NATO's growth around Russia's perimeter since 1998 and the NATO-led mass atrocities of bombings in Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Libya should also be reevaluated with this Nazi pedigree in mind. Why did NATO post images of the Ukrainian soldier clearly brandishing a Tula Society black son of the occult on her uniform in honor of, quote, Women's Day, unquote, this year? Why are active Ukrainian Nazis serving in Azov and Abar battalions systematically glossed over by NATO propaganda outlets or mainstream media despite the proven causes of, excuse me, one more time. Why are active Ukrainian Nazis serving in Azov and Abar battalions systematically glossed over by NATO propaganda outlets or mainstream media despite the proven cases of mass atrocities in East Donbass since 2014. Why are Nazi movements seeing a vast revival across East European space, especially within countries that have come under the influence of NATO since the Soviet Union's collapse? Is it possible that the war we fought the Allies won in 1945 was merely a battle within a larger war for civilization whose outcome yet remains to be seen. Certainly, patriots of Finland and Sweden should think very deeply about the dark traditions which risk being revived as they join into a new Operation Barbarossa in the 21st century. Well, yes, indeed. And I think uh, some substance to what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, and we've spoken about this before, uh, another Substack post, this from Mark Sloboda, S-L-E-B-O-D-A, and this is called The Real Politik with Mark Sloboda. And it talks about Ukraine uh, not only erasing monuments to the German uh, to the German defeat in World War II by the Soviet Union, but erecting monuments, renaming streets and the parks in uh, or after uh, Ukrainian Nazi collaborators. Skipping down, we read, In the latest round of erasing and reconstituting Ukraine's history and identity, the Kiev City Council has now renamed Stolyatova Street in Kiev, Ulas Samshuk Street, that's U-L-A-S, last name capital S-A-M-C-H-U-K, Street, in honor of Ulas Samshuk. 
a rabid ideological anti-Semite and fascist and Nazi collaborator. During 1941 to 1942, Ulas Samchuk worked for the Nazis within the Reichskommissariat Ukraine as chief editor of the pro-Nazi newspaper Volin in Rovno in West Ukraine. Volin was published in thousands of copies and was widely distributed. In his articles, Samchuk wide incited, justified the murders and called for the extermination of Jews, Poles, leftists, Russians, and other, quote, undesirables, unquote, in Ukraine. Samchuk wrote his anti-Jewish articles calmly cheerleading the massacre of 25,000 Jews in Rovno, including 6,000 children that the articles inspired. Incidentally, a statue of Ulas Samchuk has also now been erected in Rovno. And here are some of Ulas Samchuk's best published quotes. Where the Ukrainian state will be built, there will be no Jews there, unquote. Sam Chuck wrote of the mass murder of Jews in Kiev at Babiar, Today is a great day for Kiev, and quote, The element that settled our cities, whether it is Jews or Poles who were brought here from outside Ukraine, must disappear completely from our cities. The Jewish problem is already in the process of being solved, unquote. And, all, quote, all elements that reside in our land, whether they are Jews or Poles, must be eradicated. We are at this very moment resolving the Jewish question, and this resolution is part of the plan for the Reich's total reorganization of Europe. The empty space that will be created must immediately and irrevocably be filled by the real owners and masters of this land, the Ukrainian people, unquote. Samchuk also wrote articles lionizing his personal idol, Adolf Hitler, unquote. Note the, the following. It's very important. In Ukraine today, Ulas Samchuk is promoted by the West-backed Kiev Putsch regime as a hero and great figure of Ukrainian literature and culture, taught and require reading in schools. We spoke about the uh, Ukrainian Institute of National Memory and uh, the closeness that that organization had to the uh, Ukrainian Ministry of Education. Uh, that was Volodymyr Vyotrovich who headed that up. And I noted in connection with the war in Ukraine that it was serving as something like the philosopher's stone of the old alchemist and was turning the entire West and all of its institutions into something of the same substance as the uh, Ukrainian Institute of National Memory under Volodymyr Vyotrovich. But again, Vyotrovich, who was completely rewriting Ukraine's history during World War II, making the SS and the Axis to be good guys and the allies, the Russians in particular, to be bad guys, uh, well, that basically was very close. He was, he was very close to the Ministry of Education. And note again the following. In Ukraine today, Ulas Samchuk is promoted by the West-backed Kiev Putsch regime as a hero and great figure of Ukrainian literature and culture taught and required reading in schools. Figures such as Samchuk glorified by the Kiev regime 
or airbrushed away with apologism by the Western mainstream media as, quote, controversial historical figures, unquote. Controversial? There's nothing, quote, controversial, any, unquote, about them. There is nothing, quote, controversial, unquote, about them. That is historical revisionism of the most obscene kind. They are Nazi collaborators and fascists. This is not excused away and exonerated by the fact that they hated Russians and leftists, too. This is not Holocaust denial. It is Holocaust celebration, unquote. Isn't maybe it is. And uh, the enormity of what we are seeing uh, with the Ukraine war really could not be exaggerated. I've spoken... Uh, at great length in the past about the Republican Ethnic Heritage Outreach Council, literally a Nazi branch of the Republican Party that was inextricably linked with the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations and the characters that were imported into the uh, United States under the auspices of uh, the Office of Policy Coordination, Frank Wisner, uh, William Casey, and it literally was a Nazi branch of the Republican Party, inextricably linked with the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations. Now, under Joe Biden, the process of the Nazification of America is being completed and is being presided over by Joe Biden, ostensibly a Democrat, although really, if you look at the people who are serving his administration, basically it's Borman Jews and brown shirts in blackface behind the facade of identity politics. Uh, Biden really is presiding over the final uh, administration of the icing on the cake of Nazi America. We speak of Nazi Germany. Now we're really getting to the point where we could refer to Nazi America. And as Max Loboba notes, uh, in Ukraine today, Ulas Samchuk is promoted by the West-backed Kiev Putsch regime as a hero and great figure of Ukrainian literature and culture, taught and require reading in schools. That is something else. And as he notes, this is not Holocaust denial, unquote. It is Holocaust celebration, unquote. And the Western media continue to uh, sanitize the Nazis who are serving in a profound way in Ukraine. There was an absolutely despicable almost unbelievable column that uh, Paul Krugman, uh, an economist, penned in the op-ed page of the New York Times on June 6th of 2023, the Western Print Edition. That is the anniversary of D-Day, and it's called The Eyes of the World Are Upon Ukraine's Armed Forces. And he is actually equating the OUNB successor organizations running Ukraine as the equivalent of the Allies landing in Normandy. It is an absolutely disgraceful, disgusting column, and uh, it, it's a new low for Paul Krugman. I'm not going to read you the column. Uh, I'll put a link in the written description for the article. And then uh, if you are on a weight loss program, I recommend reading it because you won't be able to keep anything down. Another New York Times apologia, also in their June 6, 2023, Western Print Edition. This one by Thomas Gibbons Neff, a former Marine. Kiev walks fine line 
as fighters embrace use of Nazi symbols. And again, it, it, it is uh, really a sort of Orwellian doublespeak. And again, you can read that if you want. It, it, again, it's very good for weight reduction. You read that, you won't be able to keep very much down. And another New York Times article, May 27th of 2023, by Valerie Hopkins, far-right Russian militias aiding Kiev's army make for worrisome ally. Worrisome ally? Well, gee, why? If Ula Samchuk is required reading in Ukrainian schools, why would this be worrisome? Basically, they are uh, Russian Nazis. And uh, this was the group that uh, staged a... Uh, Basically, it was a raid on Belgorod in Russia that uh, served to cover for the fall of Artemovsk, as the Russians call it, or Bakhmut, which, yes, has been taken by Russia. Far-right Russian militia aiding Kiev's army makes for worrisome ally by Valerie Hopkins, New York Times, May 27th of 2023. It was the rhetoric of a dissident freedom fighter, but there was a discordant note that emerged as clearly as the neo-Nazi black sun patch on the uniform of one of the soldiers. Mr. Kasputin, K-A-S-P-U-P-I-N, and prominent members of the armed group he leads, the Russian Volunteer Corps, openly espoused far-right views. In fact, German officials and humanitarian groups, including the Anti-Defamation League, have identified Mr. Kasputin as a neo-Nazi. Gee whiz. I thought the Nazis were gotten rid of uh, in World War II. What, what, what were they talking about? And uh, anyway, uh, I'll, I'll put links for these articles in the written description for the program. Uh, do recall, again, at the top of each written for the record description and at the top of each food for thought post, there are links to A, uh, well, A, uh, the link that will enable you to subscribe to the WFMU podcast for the record, a link that will enable you to get the 32 gigabyte flash drive soon to be updated with all of the current material. That contains all of my printed and recorded work, all of the expert comments by Parafractal and other commenters, and an anti, a small library of easy-to-download anti-fascist books on uh, PDF files. And again, you can click on that, and order that. I get no money whatsoever from this. Uh, we will be continuing with this series in our next program. And again, uh, the title of this series is Part 24, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies? A very prescient observation by the late brilliant political comedian Mort Saul in his 1976 autobiography called Heartland. And indeed, do we belong to the lie? I would say so. It really is quite remarkable. In, for the record, 1299, we looked at the awarding of uh, an Oscar for a documentary to the uh, puff piece Navalny, which really appears to have been steered in part or created in part by elements of Western intelligence, Bellingcat, Bellingcat excuse me, in particular. And uh, uh, the recent concert tour by none other than the boss, Bruce Springsteen himself, uh, featured his lead guitar player, Speed Van Zant, with his guitar painted blue and yellow in the colors of Ukraine. When here's all the stuff, people saying, oh, I stand with Ukraine and solidarity with Ukraine. Well, if some of my musings about Boydon Bashek and his son Peter Bashek, as of the uh, COVID pandemic, whether you recognize it or not, you may very well have been standing with Russia. But what the heck? 
what do I know? Anyway, this concludes for the record program number 1302, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lies, Part 24, being recorded on June 9th of 2023. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.